edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals, intellectually, morally, and spiritually. That's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do, as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Edify podcast. Our guest today is Everett Fritz, founder of Andrew Ministries, working on the front lines to establish discipled-centered youth ministry and equip parishes with meaningful evangelization tools. Welcome, Everett. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Andrew Ministries, where'd you get the name? Uh, well, St. Andrew is the first to, uh, was the first to answer the call of discipleship. He was the first of the 12. I also really like him because he brought Jesus to his family mm-hmm. uh, in that he brought Jesus to his brother, Peter. Um, so, you know, if Andrew didn't say yes first, then we wouldn't have had the other 12, no. in, in theory. It, I also like to just say, we just picked some random kid named Andrew. And right. The after <laughs> no, him, no, he was the wingman of Jesus, yeah, right? Exactly. He, he introduced Jesus to everybody. And um, no, he was the, he was the initial uh, networker yep. for, yeah, no, for the, the apostles. It's, it's the great. story in John's gospel of, of Jesus famously says, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. And, and he says, master, where are you staying? And it's like, his life is different based right. on the way he answers that question. Right. Uh, you know, I find it interesting, like anytime Jesus answers asks a question in the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, it's a life-changing moment for the person. So he, he says, what are you looking for? He says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Right. Uh, he says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And the way they answer that question ends up changing their life. As you well know, youth are leaving the church in droves. The number of people um, who call themselves nuns, not religious nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns, they, they check the no religion box on surveys when they answer them. It's higher than it's ever been before. Um, how did you, you know, with Andrew Ministry, how do you go about addressing this when the problem is so huge and frankly, right now seems insurmountable? Yeah, I think the, I mean, you mentioned the nuns. The nuns are now the majority religion right. among, among millennials and Generation Z. Right. So uh, Christianity is no longer a majority religion. And so if we do not fix the problem of young people leaving the church, the, our next generation, the problem they're going to be facing is what do we do with our empty church, which is already a problem in Europe. So yes. it's it's coming if we don't change it. So the reality is it's like this mission field of working with young people is extremely important. And virtually, virtually every parish in the United States uh, does some sort of children's formation. In, right. in most cases, it looks like religious education or it's preparation for the sacraments. Uh, we have Catholic schools. We have all kinds of youth events and youth camps and youth conferences and different things. And yet, somehow, we're still losing young people, which means that the way in which we're doing ministry with young people is not working. Right. And, and to say anything other than that uh, it would be uh, a huge understatement. Right. I'm a big believer that the way in which we're doing ministry with young people in the church does not work and is completely obsolete. Well, and I, I think to your point, religious education for public school students who don't attend Catholic schools has really been an abysmal failure. And that is not in any way a criticism of directors of religious education or the people who work in the programs. It simply doesn't work. And I have a friend who's a DRE. I think that Pew study that also talked about the nuns also noted that uh, for students who go to public schools and only attend um, C- what CCD, I guess is what we used to yep. call it, and religious education now only attend that, um, by the time they are out of high school, 95% of those kids will have left the Catholic Church. Yeah, I think that's all. That's uh, probably being pretty conservative yeah, here, oh honestly. God, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned CCD, which yeah. stands for Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. And right. I, I like to ask people the question of when do you think that was founded? 
Like oh, about what decade yeah, do you right, think? Right. Well, what decade right. do you think? 1965. I don't know. It's 1562. Like... Oh, no kidding. Yeah, 1560. So it's over. It's nearly 500 years old. Right. Which I mean, think about how rapidly youth culture in different generations changes. Like, if this model of ministry isn't obsolete, I mean, right. it, it's it's time to let go of it. Yeah. Well, I have a I have a friend who's a DRE and um, very very good woman, very dedicated to trying to help youth. But she says, you know. Okay, you give give me a program where where young people are forced to come once a week because they can't receive the sacraments if they don't go. They're forced to come. Uh, the teachers aren't paid. Uh, the staff is you know the very few staff members that are paid are very, are very much underpaid. You're looking for volunteers who may or may not know the faith themselves teaching these young people the faith. What could possibly go wrong? Right. You know, so that's, <laughs> if you were to take a group of leaders in, in the church who work with young people who know what they're doing, and you were to, to uh, say, hey, just start with a blank slate, come up with a method of ministry right. that works for young people, they would never come up with that. Yeah. Like, like that is, and no one in their right mind would think this is the way we minister to young people. Right. And yet that's the prim, primarily the way in which we do it. Right. Uh, I mean, the reality is that uh, even youth groups, these, I'm a big believer youth groups are obsolete. Right. Um, what works today, you use the word program. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, that I think is, is where I, Catholics, I find, have the biggest uh, challenge in trying to get out of a mindset that's not working is that very frequently I talk to leaders and they say, okay, what program do you want me to run? What program? What mm -hmm. Like you want me to change the method? Give me the program for right. it. And I'm like, there isn't one. Uh, uh, the the pro You need to know how to actually minister to a person. Right. And um, this is why I, my primary ministry is, is just teaching people how to do discipleship because discipleship by definition is not a program. Right. Um, discipleship is about, well, it's it's a uh, it's a very old form of ministry of formation in which a rabbi would come in and evaluate a class of, of students and he would in, provide for them the invitation come and follow me if you were the best of the best and then that person would live with the rabbi and learn from mm, their very right. way of life yeah. and so the program that they're following is simply the example of the person they're living with right. and and so the faith is is not taught it's more more likely caught. Yeah. This is the way Jesus conquered the world with his apostles. Right. Well, but so you're getting to a key issue, which is, you know, many of the children that are in these programs, whether it's elementary or high school, if they're going to get their first communion or they're working towards their confirmation, um, they they are living in homes with parents who don't practice largely mm -hmm. or practice infrequently and don't know the faith. So you have you have nothing being reinforced in home, and they're not necessarily bad parents. They just were never taught it themselves. I think we're on like our third generation now, of of people of Catholic people who were never really taught the faith and its fullness, and so they feel inadequate. So they sign their kids up for the class, thinking the entirety of the Catholic faith is going to be imparted by going every Wednesday afternoon, you know, for a couple yeah. of months. Um, so it's it. I I think you almost need to have a parental component if youth ministry is going to be effective. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I do know of parish ministries that will run. They they recognize they're like our parents are not well formed, they're mm -hmm. not well catechized, they don't know their faith, and that's true. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they will put together a parent ministry that runs simultaneous to the youth ministry. So when the parent right. drops their kids off, they, they go, I have never seen a parish where that ministry has worked. And, and here's why. Uh, that, that while the parents are not well catechized, that's not their felt need. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, uh, that, that what parents need these days and what their felt need is, is vocational. Uh, they are overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I... 
I know many parents who um, aren't doing a good job raising their kids in the faith, but it's not due to poor intention. It's mm -hmm. not due to the fact that they don't want their kids to have faith. Uh, they just, they're too overwhelmed to even consider. They're like, I don't even know, like my marriage might be falling apart. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting, uh, you know, have all kinds of pressure with job. My, you know, my newborn baby's teething, whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah doing Bible study with my kid is not on my radar. Right. And so what I do with those parents is I don't, I don't say, hey, let me put something else on your plate. How about a class for you? They're not going to come. The right. people that need to be there are not the ones who are going to come. Right. Right. What I'd rather do is I'd sit down with those parents and I say to them, I can see you're overwhelmed. How mm -hmm. would you like to have another meaningful adult in the life of your teenager to walk alongside of you and walk alongside of your young person? Right. Uh, and, and they're like, I, I've had atheist parents yeah. that I've said that to in regards yeah. to our youth ministry, and they're like, sign me up, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, right. So it's it's a matter of uh, the way I do youth ministry is we we do the the way the method that Jesus used, which is discipleship. We mm -hmm. I train up a couple of adults and I, I recruit adults to to say, hey, can you take young people for a couple hours a week and just five five young people just pour into them right. and live community together, and then I connect those adults to the parents and they work together. My, my adults are trained to work with the parents, build bridges, build relationships, and right. slowly start to um, work with both the parents and the young people walking alongside of them. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you. I have a, a friend who um, is herself a charismatic Catholic, and she is um, she helps prepare her parishes, seventh and eighth graders who go to public schools for confirmation. And she said she discerned very early on that these kids had never been taught to pray. And so she developed kind of like a prayer class and she would go around and say, what do you need to pray for? What do you need to pray for? And taught them, like, this is how we, we start by praising God and then we give him our intentions. And she said, you know, a hilarious story. She called me and said, you know, these two girls had one of this boy that they liked and he was trying out for some high school basketball team. And there were like 200 boys trying out for 12 spots or something. And they prayed with him the way she had taught them. And do you know, he made the team. And they called her like at home that night to say, we prayed with him and it worked. They were, and, and she said, that's the moment they needed. She, they needed that moment to know how to pray and that God answers prayers. You I, know, what I, what it was like, like about, transforming for yeah. them. What I like about that story is that uh, you know, I will tell my, my small group leaders, you need to be teaching these young people how to pray. And they'll say, well, how do I do it? I said, you need to actually show them. Right, exactly. Because um, that's what discipleship is. It's imitation. I said, talking to them about a method of prayer versus actually doing it with them right. is, is night and day difference. Right. Uh, but the other thing is that she taught them to pray the way that she prays. Uh, which is right. hugely important. Correct. Because yeah. my leaders will ask me, they're like, how do I, what do you want me to teach them in terms of prayer? And I'll say, well, how do you pray? They're like, well, I go to adoration and I have a prayer journal and I write in my journal. I'm like, great. Show the show your your small group how to do that. Mm. And the next thing I know, I see all this all the girls in that small group. They've got their journals with them. Yeah, is that something? Yeah. yeah, or or I've got a leader that's like I do Lexio Divina. I'm like, great, show them how to do that. Right. And the next thing I know, everybody in the group's got a Bible, and I see written written notes and different things all over the yeah. place. And that there's so many different ways to pray, right? right. And it's and young people, you know, uh, they they respond to what they know is authentic. So if you don't pray that way, and you're trying to teach them to pray, they're gonna, you know, they'll sense it. They're, My, you know. Their monitor for that is pretty high. My entire prayer life is based on on people that I know who've taught me. Here's the way that I encounter God, mm. and they've shown me what they do, and that's how I've built my own prayer life. It, that's that's the best way to pass the faith on yeah. from generation to generation. Is is young people don't need more teaching. They right. they need more example. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. Though, but 
although you have to have the knowledge, yes. right? You have to know who Jesus is before you can pray to him. Yeah. And you know, I have a, a friend who teaches college theology at a very, very prestigious school who every you know, fall when he gets his first class of kids to come in. He just does a, you know, 20 things about the Catholic Church to see, just to gauge, really not to embarrass them, just to gauge their knowledge. And how many, what percentage do you think, this is a really competitive Catholic college, uh, what percentage of the incoming freshmen could name the four Gospels? Oh, I'm guessing a very small percentage. Yeah, less than half, less than half could name the four Gospels. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you talk about basics, and Mm -hmm. if you don't, you know, so if you don't know scripture, you can't know Christ, you can't, you know. You know what I'd so, be curious to know, though, is whether or not somebody's actually taught, tried to teach them that before. Because sometimes mm, you can have point. a room full of young people. Right. I could put Jesus Christ himself in that room full of young people to teach them, the, like the teachings of the, and, and young people will glaze over and not pay attention. So right. it's not, it could be that it's not a, an issue right. of. Right. Of the teacher or whatever te- program yeah. they had, et cetera, et cetera. You have to win the right to be heard with young people. And more right. n- now more than ever, uh, they have so many influences and so many, uh, uh, you know, TikTok influencers win the right to be heard somehow. Right. And right. Um, we have to win the right to be I'm not saying that we need to be more, let's get Catholic priests on TikTok and right. have them dancing to get, yeah, that's yeah. not going to no, go that over well. That w- yeah, because yeah. Then, then you lose, you know, the kids will lose respect. Well, you for, lose, there's yeah. no authenticity to right. that. Right, no, that's what I mean, authenticity. Well, how do you keep youth ministers in the game? Because there's such a high turnover, isn't there? And a lot of burnout. Are you at Andrew Ministries addressing that at all? The way that we train youth ministers isn't working. Uh, Again, that most youth ministers that I know are trained to do a youth group model. Mm -hmm. They build the entire youth ministry around themselves and their efforts. Uh, They're working three nights a week, which is not, and weekends, which is not sustainable if you've got a family, if you've got, if you're a normal person. Right, right. No, yeah, something's got to give, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the model is broken. And so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm training youth ministry leaders to say, uh, look, I'll say this. When I was running a youth group, I spent 80% of my time planning the program. Mm. Uh, And so I was working on making the youth group dynamic and recruiting my leaders and training them and making sure they had the right uh, understanding of what the lesson plan was going to be for the week. And then when I took a step back and said, no, I'm going to really pour myself. We're going to pull back on youth group. We're not going to do this anymore because it's not working for anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's killing me. Yeah. Uh, And instead, I, I... focused in on here's five teenagers that I can pour into and here's my leaders who I can pour into who are also pouring into five Mm -hmm. teenagers apiece. 80% of my time became relational then, which is what I'm really interested in doing in ministry. Right, right, that's, yeah. Uh, And so that's that's the work that I do is I try to get them to focus on the ministry that really matters. Uh, And it's not... It's yeah. I'll give you the program. I'll give you the structure. I'll give you the things that that will make some some of the work easy. But yeah. I want them focusing in on relationships because that's what feeds their heart. That's where the right. real ministry is. And I want them to really pour into leaders who can delegate, divide, and conquer. So the youth minister is not there twenty four seven. Right. Well, so so tell me then. I you know so many of the retreats and things, uh, cringy things I went on in high school involved like these icebreaker mm-hmm. things and games and stuff. So what's the consequence of those kind of things, which I know are well-intended yeah. on teens who are trying to develop, you know, um, a, a reason to follow Christ and a yeah. reason to there's be a, disciples? There's a time and a place for stuff like that. Okay. Uh, I mean, they're really, like youth ministry should be, if people are coming to the church and they're not at least encountering joyful people. And right. I, like I have a, sure. a blast with young people. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. But I've literally had young people that told me I went to my youth group and we played a, a game, a potato game, where we were having to run around with potatoes in between our legs and drop it into a bucket to simulate pooping. 
Uh, and they said, after that, I did not go back. And, yeah. and they were like, because it was, it was just games every week. It was as, as the yeah. icebreaker. And I, they were like, at some point, it was, it was like, this is, is not what I'm looking we for. Don't right. have to do this I didn't, I didn't expect, I was uh, like five years ago, I was doing, uh, running around and raising money with friends and family to start my apostolate. And I was staying with family members of mine. And they had, they had 10 kids, they had uh, teenagers. And they asked me, what is it that you're doing? I said, I think youth ministry is broken. I don't, I don't think youth group is, is working at all. I think the kids are tired of the dog and pony show, uh, all the entertainment, et cetera. And I don't think we can entertain them nearly as well as, as the rest of the world can. I just want to pour into relationships with them. And, and they said, does that actually work? And I said, let's do an experiment. And I said, bring your teenagers in. And I, I asked them, I said, hey, do you guys... You guys have a, a youth group at your parish, and they said, "Yeah." I said, "Do you guys go to your youth group?" They said, "No." <laughs> and I said, "Why is that?" And they said, "With it, very nicely, they basically said it's lame." Yeah. And and uh, and so I, then I said, "Tell me something. If if it were me, and I just said, hey, grab a couple of your friends, and on Friday let's go out to pizza each week, and we'll talk about life and and relationships and uh, faith and questions that you may have. Would you would you go out to pizza with me each week?" And they said, "Yeah, I'd do that in a heartbeat." Yeah. I was like, good. "Thank you. You just proved my point." Right. Uh, uh, young people are looking more than anything. They're looking for relationship, yeah. and they're looking for people who are genuinely interested yeah. in that. And they need yeah. guidance. I mean, yeah. I, young people are actually statistically they are hungry for adult relationships. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, we think that young people are pulling away from adulthood, but really they're encountering the world of adults as teenagers for the first time. They're learning to navigate that world. And if you look at the average schedule of an American teenager, they wake up in the morning. Uh, they have extracurriculars before school, yeah. after school, during school. They've got instruction. They have uh, jobs sometimes. They come home. A lot of times they don't even have a family meal. They do two to three hours of homework. Right. They never had a conversation, with a meaningful conversation no. with an adult during their day. Yeah. And this is the time in their life when they're, when they're encountering adult situations for the first time. And so things like, uh, you know, a 15-year-old comes crying to me because her boyfriend broke up with her and she's devastated. Yeah, and that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing to them. Life. But yeah. for us adults, we're like, yeah, eat some cookie dough, cry a few tears, you'll be fine. Right, you know, like right, right, right. it's it's a, uh, it's we've navigated that and we can help them navigate right. that. We, it, right. So they need that in they their life. They need to know the world hasn't ended yeah. when they encounter their yeah. first cross. Right? I'll, say, I'll say this too real quick. Uh, um, smartphones changed youth culture. And it was around 2012, 2013 that youth culture dramatically shifted. And that's when uh, more than 50% of the population had a smartphone. It used to be that a young person, in order to feel connected uh, to a community, they had to go to a place where a large community would gather. Mm-hmm. But this generation of young people is constantly connected to a large right. community of people. It's not a felt need of theirs. Right. What they don't have are intimate relationships. Because um, that's something a phone doesn't provide. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's a huge desire for that among yeah. young people. That's what's attractive, mm-hmm. not silly games. Well, given all that you know, um, Everett, how would you advise parishes you know, to meet kids where they're at? Or do you have, you know, what advice would you give to a pastor wanting to start an effective youth ministry in his parish? It's overwhelming when you look at the masses, when you look at, at, at the, say, I've got 500 young people in my parish and our youth ministry is drawing 10 and we got to fix things. If you look at the crowds of people you're responsible for, you're immediately going to become overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Jesus conquered the world is through 12 men. Uh, and, and his large group ministry, and I, I feel like a heretic saying this, but his large group ministry was largely a failure. The crowds turned on him. The crowds left him. Mm. The crowds eventually had him crucified. Right. Um, it was his, it was his 12 that he poured into for three years that changed the world. And right. even among 12, he had three. And even among three, he had one. Like, mm. isn't it interesting that God always intended for the gospel to go out to the entire world? And so he became a man. Yeah. And instead of traveling the world himself, he stayed in one place Mm -hmm. and he poured himself into 12 people 
for three years. Uh, that's what it takes is, is I would say to a pastor, I would say to, to a parish staff member, to volunteers, to parents, you have to start small because mm. um, the impact of starting small and staying small um, is, can be potentially huge and you'd be surprised right. how quickly a ministry can grow um, when you start small with the intention of growing big. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.